racism today in America is a very hard to tackle issue because there are so many different opinions on every different side that you can imagine. However, hard topics are made simple by the Word of God. The topics that are hard to talk about in front of people, the Bible has no issue bringing up. So we, as Christians, need to bring them up. We need to bring simplicity to a complex world. And that's what Jesus did. He brought simplicity to these things. Um, so Zoe, do you want to kind of open, a, open us up with talking about abortion and race and how those two things are tied? Um, yes. Um, in, sorry. <laughs> in uh, what we're talking about abortion and racism, uh, the organization Planned Parenthood, the founder, Margaret Sanger, was known for her racist and eugenic ideologies. Uh, which eugenics is the study of how to arrange human reproduction within a population to increase what is considered de as desirable characteristics. Margaret Sanger strategically placed abortion clinics in neighborhoods that are predominantly minority groups, so therefore um, minorities were ten times more likely to get an abortion. Um, and the black community has stayed at 13% because of abortion, because they were getting more abortions. and. Um, <coughs> In New York, thousands more black babies are aborted rather than born each year, which is really sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it really is crazy to think about because abortion is already this topic that is hard to talk about because you're dealing with life. You're dealing with the ending of life. If, if you believe that that is life, you're dealing with the ending of life. And so to add another layer of this where we can talk about race and how racism has been perpetuated through the years because of abortion it just adds another layer to something that is that is so hard to talk about but i believe that it is our job to talk about it right and you're doing a great job of of bringing up these disparities of bringing up these things that are wrong that we need to talk about um first off i, I don't want us to assume that we can solve a problem like racism right um, racism is not something that we can just snap our fingers and fix. Um, in fact, I hope as Christians we don't ever approach problems like we can just fix them overnight. right? We serve a God who is capable of fixing problems. And when you have a problem, what do you do? You seek help. You seek a counselor if that's necessary. This is a topic that is necessary of seeking counsel about. So let's go to the great counselor. Let's go to the perfect counselor about this topic and let's see what Jesus and the Holy Spirit have to say about it. I also want to make the disclaimer, racism is not about black versus white or white versus black. It's, it, it's so much more than that. We're especially seeing that with Israel and Palestine right now. It's, it can be about class. It can be about geography. It can be about skin tone. It can be about height. It can be, it can be about so many different things. So when we say racism, also... Tonight, what we're really talking about is looking at someone as lesser than or greater than because of a difference between the two of you. And we're going to explore in Scripture how that is fundamentally wrong. If you are doing that, if you're looking at someone as superior or inferior because of your race, because of your skin tone, because of your geography, because of your height, because of anything, that is biblically wrong. And that's what the scripture says, and that's what we need to follow. So with that in mind, 
um, the Bible, God as the creator, calls for unity. He, he calls for it to be, it, it is his intention, right? God intends us to be unified and intends us to be um, together. And so we're going to talk about a little bit of the history of the church and racism. We're going to talk about a little bit of what we can do to help that um, change and, and how as individuals we can also make a difference. Um, also, slave trafficking. This is, this is so crazy to me. Slave trafficking relied on the ideology of racial differences as a sign of inferiority and superiority. However, the thing that kept that going was their view on the Bible. They believed, slave traders believed, they were largely Christian, evangelical Christians, largely believed that the soul can be set free, but I am justified through the Bible in enslaving someone because they look different from me. That's part of evangelical Christians' history, and we need to face that fact. Um, the Bible was used by Christians um, to encapture slaves and to forward and push the agenda of white supremacy. Um, Zoe, do you want to talk a little bit about this um, as, as it concerns? Go ahead. Um, yeah, the Bible was wrongly used as a way to like defend white supremacy and slavery, which was wrong. And um, in many ways, it still is has people like take it and they make something that it's not out of it and they use it as like a tool of oppression or other stuff like that that it shouldn't be used for and as christians there's like some subtle things that are like not really we overlook them like the white depictions of jesus the uh, all-white nativity scenes or the um, white bible characters in children's books that it's not really how it was, but we just overlooked it because it's how it we thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I always, like, Jesus wasn't white. <laughs> like, every time I walk into a church or, like, you know, whatever, even, like, libraries, sometimes we'll have them, like, the old school libraries with just this, like, big halo, like, arms stretched out, Jesus, and he is, like, paler than I am. And it's, like, you know he was Middle Eastern, right? Like, you know he was like, like they were right next to Africa. <laughs> like, that was the Jesus that we serve, not this, like, whiter than sour cream dude that you have, like, on the inside of your, in the inside of your nativity scenes or, or children's books or whatever. And it, you may look at that and, like, think it's silly, but those are some of the effects of white evangelical racism that we're seeing. And those things, as subtle as they are, as, as, uh, inconsequential as we may think they are they need to be changed because not only is it not accurate but it, it, it does something in our mind when we when we think about those things and also like legally moralistically there are so many effects of institutionalized racism that we're still feeling today right when slavery was abolished well great that should be the end of it right no we had Jim Crow laws um, we had a thing called convict leasing where um, black people were disproportionately um, locked away and then they were used as convicts to go out and to do labor. Unpaid labor that you're forced to do. Hmm, that sounds a lot like slavery. And that's what they were doing. They just found ways around calling it slavery. 
um, <clears throat> and they 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 forced them to do things that they didn't want to do, which is the definition of slavery. Also, let's not pretend like we are that far removed from things like the Japanese internment camps, right? Japanese Americans were put into camps, put into prisons in their own country. America did that, like not too long ago. And also, let's not forget that there are great-grandparents of people alive today who still have whip marks on their back from slavery. This is an issue that we are not far removed from. This is an issue that we need to be up-to-date on and be actively taking a role against the injustices that we're seeing. Um, also, racial tensions always give way to racial movements. So we've seen different movements um, in the past. We've seen the Black Panthers. We've seen different organizations going through. Do you want to talk about some of uh, the organizations that we're seeing today? Yeah. Um, the most recent one, or I don't really know if it's like the most recent one, but the most... The one, biggest yeah, one. Yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which has caused like a lot of separation more than like bringing together the black community. It's just separated a lot. Um, however, not every person who was a part of that movement was causing destruction or, like, burning down buildings. Just as, like, not everyone here would want to be categorized in the group that was, like, uh, stormed the Capitol on whatever day that was, January 6th. Um, I would assume that most black people don't want to be known as, like, the people who were burning down buildings or, like, hurting no. other people yeah. because of the Black Lives Matter movement. So. That's good. That's really good. I... I've taken a stance um, in my life to not define people by their extremes. Um, so let me, let me kind of explain that, right? There are snake-handling preachers who speak in tongues. I ain't about that. I don't want to associate with that. That's not me. So when you hear Christian, I don't want you to think of a man babbling gibberish holding a venomous snake. I don't want to be defined by that. Right? So in the same way, whenever you see a black person, you can't associate them with burning down a target. That, that, do you realize how irrational that is? It's crazy for us to define people by the extremes. And it, it, and it gets a lot more subtle than that, too. For instance, when people say, I stand with Israel, that is completely valid. It, it's, it's valid. I believe in some ways it's biblical to stand with Israel in your thinking, in, in some of the actions that they're taking. However, we cannot dismiss the fact that children have been killed. Palestinian children have been killed by Israel. However, I'm choosing not to associate Jews by the extremes. Whenever I see a Jew, whenever I see, some, see someone who claims Zionism or Judaism, I'm not going to associate them with the killing of children. In the same way that I'm not going to associate right-wing, strong advocates of, of neo-Nazism with the Republican Party. I'm also not going to assume that anyone who identifies as liberal is going to be uh, pro-abortion, is going to be all of these different things that I think are heinous and awful and um, over on this far extreme side. I'm not going to associate them with that movement. Get to know people. Get to know what their views are because it could be different than what you assume. And you did a great job of, of framing that um, with 
with with the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Just because someone says that they associate with the Black Lives Matter movement, just because someone posts a black square on Tuesday on their Instagram doesn't mean that they are for abolishing the police, does not mean that they are for burning down small businesses, does not mean any of that. Get to know that person and find out what they believe. So we've been talking a lot about society. We've been talking about their role, how we need to interact with society. I want to talk about the church and how individually we need um, to kind of talk about that. So um, Dr. Martin Luther King said something I believe that was so, so powerful. Um, He said the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. Think about that. The most segregated hour of the week is on Sunday morning. There are black churches, there are white churches. There are Hispanic churches, there are Asian American churches. You just go to where it fits your stereotype. The mark of unity and equality is... The, you talked about 13% of um, the population is black, right? The mark of a good church is matching their demographic. So I don't see our church as failing at this because our demographic is white farmers. <laughs> and we have white farmers who come to our church, and that's okay. However, if you're in Springfield and your congregation is completely white, or if your congregation is completely black, there's something wrong. Because you're not reaching the people who are in your community. I believe that we are. And I believe that we can continually, and I believe that every church can get better at that. However, desegregation of Sunday morning is a way that we can really measure whether or not the church is actually doing well whenever it comes to race. Um, I also want to make the point that in church, most evangelicals hold the view that systemic racism doesn't exist. That there is, no, there is no institution that's pushing racism. There's only individuals that are pushing racism. Okay? Let me talk about this for a little bit because I know this is where I may lose some of you. I'm not saying that there is institutionalized <coughs> racism. I'm also saying that there's not, not institutionalized racism. Here's what I am saying. Let's assume that there is no institutionalized racism. Let's say that there is no systemic racism in America. There are only individuals. There are only racist individuals. It should be very easy for us to point out those racist individuals and to make them stop being racist. So why hasn't racism ended? Why haven't we found those individuals and stopped it? Okay, let's take a step back. Let's assume that there is some form of institutionalized racism that there is some sort of systemic racism in the United States of America. It would be much harder to get rid of that systemic racism, to get rid of that institutionalized racism, because it's embedded deep within these institutions. It's embedded deep within people, and they may not even realize it, right? And let let me try to phrase it like this, okay? If I came to you and said... You have a tumor. Goodbye. And then I left. What would you do, first of all, after you thought I was crazy? Like, you would start thinking, like, oh my gosh. Like, what if I do? What if I do have a tumor? What am I going to, like, what am I going to do about that? You would go home. You would, like, where is it? Like, where where did he think I have a tumor? Is it, is it, is it this 
part of me? Is it this part of me? Is it this part of me? Okay, well, maybe I still don't think I have a tumor, but maybe I should get the opinion of my parents. Do my parents think I have a tumor? Have I been, like, acting weird? Have I, like, do I have a weird lump somewhere? Like, what's going on? Okay, well, maybe they don't think I do, but maybe I need to ask my friends. Okay, well, maybe I need to ask an expert. Maybe I need to go to them. Maybe I need to get a scan done. Maybe I need to find, if you find something, just let me know. And then I will do everything in my power to change that. Right? Your response would be very meticulous. You would be very um, detailed in how you approached yourself if you thought that you had a tumor. Hear me on this. If someone came to you and said, I think you're being racist here. If someone came to you and said, I think you may not even know the certain aspects of your life that, you're, that you may be racist. What would your response be? You were so quick to say, no, no, I don't. There's no way. There's no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not. Why don't we treat those two the same? Why don't you go home and examine yourself and think, am I racist here? Do I have some racist tendencies here? Maybe I don't even know that this would produce racism in me. And then if I think, no, I think I'm good, I should go to my parents. I should go to my friends. I should go to an expert. I should listen to experts on this issue, and I should see how would this impact my life if it were true. I'm not saying that you are a racist. Don't hear me in that. (laughs) I'm also not saying that you have a tumor, (laughs) so don't worry about that. What I am saying is go home, look at yourself in the mirror, Think about different scenarios. Examine whether or not you believe that you have racial tendencies or not. A good way for me to think about this, I just had a daughter, right? What if my daughter, when she's 16 years old, brings home a black boyfriend? How would I react to that? That's a good indicator of, am I, like, I never thought about that before. That doesn't make me a racist. That just makes me think through some different things that maybe I haven't thought of before. Um, Hopefully that didn't feel like condemning. Like, I don't want you to feel like you're a racist, but I want you to see, would I, would I approach situations differently if I believed that I had some tendencies leaning towards the other way? Um, I hope that helps you bring some clarity. I hope, you're, I hope you don't feel offended through that, but I hope we can all grow as Christians through that. Um, uh, another another way, since we were talking earlier about some like institutional racism and things like that, um, I think a good way to talk about that is public transportation. Um, so, do you want to talk about like Hurricane Katrina? Mm-hmm. Uh, back in two thousand five, after Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans St. Claude neighborhood, a eighty one percent black low income neighborhood, only had thirty six percent of its transit operations restored, whereas the neighborhoods that catered to largely white tourists was finally was fully restored because it was more profitable for the city. Um, and most people would say that's an economic problem and not a race problem. Well, it's actually a priority problem. We're prioritizing money over race and, or over life, which is a race problem. Mm, that's really good. Um, that was very well said, because a lot of times we just think about it like money, right? Well, the best way for the city to get back on its feet is to get money back into the city. And how do we do that? We do that through economics. We do that through uh, tourism. We do that through all of these different things. And so you can look at that and you can say, oh, well, that's just a money problem. No, you're prioritizing money over race. You're prioritizing a largely white industry 
over a largely black neighborhood. And there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for priority. Where does priority... And I'm not saying swing the pendulum all the way over. I'm not saying, okay, well, you know what? We're only going to rebuild public transportation in black neighborhoods. And then the white ones, screw you guys. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. We're saying make it equal, right? We're saying there is an imbalance here. There is injustice here, and it needs to be made right. So it is a priority problem. Um, I also... I, I, I want us I want us to be very clear on this. Having racial blind spots. In other words, that example that I gave, what if Amara, what if my daughter came home with a black boyfriend? Um, number one, I would say like regardless of what race he is, you're not allowed to have a boyfriend. Um, so there's that. But after that after that, when she's sixteen, not when she's nine months. I said not when she's sixteen. She ain't having a boyfriend when she's 16. <laughs> Amara, if you're listening to this and you're 16, we'll talk about it. But <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. Having racial blind spots is not a sin. Hear me. Having racial blind spots is not a sin. It is not a sin for me to think, I don't know how I would react if Amara came home with a black boyfriend. I don't know. That's not, that's not a sin. But what is a sin is to assume I have no blind spots. I am perfect. There, I, I cannot change, and I will never be better because I am the best that I will ever be. That is a God complex. That is assuming that you are the best you can ever be and that God is equal to you. That is a sin. So let's not be there, and let's, uh, let's address our racial blind spots. Um, so with that... Um, I, I just want us to kind of move into a time of um, looking for um, movements. We talked a little bit about the movements of uh, um, the Black Panthers, the Black Lives Matter, extremes, not basing people on their extremes, things like that. Um, however, hear me on this. Whenever you're looking into organizations that deal with race and whether or not they're handling it correctly, think about this. Movements that start with racial roots will often produce racist fruit. I'm going to say that again. Movements that start with racist or racial roots will often produce racist fruit. In other words, if you're trying to fix a problem because you think the problem is race and race alone, it will produce a race-based answer, and that is not the answer. However, the pro- here's what I'm saying. The problem is not race. The problem is not race. The problem is not Jewish versus Palestine, Palestinian. The, the problem is not white versus black. The problem is not class versus class. The problem is superiority over inferiority. The problem is Jesus versus not Jesus. Right? And when we view it as that problem, the movements will be different. That is why, hear me, that is why Black Lives Matter cannot save the race problem. That is why a, a movement like the Black Panthers, a movement like neo-white Nazism, will not save racism. I'm not comparing those two. I'm not saying they're the same. But I am saying that any movement that starts with race is the problem and we need to fix the race problem will not solve the race problem. What will fix the problem is to say the problem is not race. 
The problem is not class. The problem is not geography. The problem is that there is a fall and that there is an absence of Jesus. And until that absence of Jesus is met, we will never come to a solution. We will never come to a consensus. We will never come to peace and unity unless Jesus, unless his sacrifice is what brings us together. Let me say it like this. The cross is the great equalizer. In heaven, will there be black and white? No. Will there be Jew and Palestinian? No. Will there be upper class and lower class? No. Will there be male and female? No. There will be heaven. There will be you and there will be God. Period. The cross is what made that available. The cross is how we bring heaven down to earth. So how do we need to treat people? We need to treat people as if we are in heaven. We need to treat people as if there is no class, as if there is no race, as if there is no gender. Don't twist my words there, but understand what I mean. The cross is the great equalizer. The cross makes my skin tone equal to other people's skin tone. The cross makes my class equal to someone else's class. The, the cross makes my home equal to someone else's home. That's why Jesus said, if you take care of the least of these, you take care of me. That's why the last will be first. Is this starting to make sense? Is this starting to come together for you? I really hope that it is because at the end of the day, what we're dealing with is an absence of Jesus. And until our society sees that, there will be no other solution. Um, I think it's also important to mention here, um, it is natural for minorities, specifically racial minorities, um, compared to white people, non-white racial minorities, it's understandable for them to struggle with scripture. Because, like, like, what did we say earlier, right? That the Bible was used to oppress people. That was not right. And we acknowledge, as Christian evangelicals in 2021, that was not right. However, if your entire race was used, if, you, if your entire race was enslaved based on the writings of the Bible, I can understand why you would have a hard time believing the Bible. I can understand why you would look at the Bible as a tool of oppression instead of a tool of freedom. And until we meet people where they are, that's never going to change. Until we see where they're coming from, we'll never see where they can go. Let's not be so close-minded that we think, why don't you just believe the Bible? Why don't you just believe what it says? It's more complex than that. And we need to empathize and to meet people where they are. Um, you know, more recently we have racial tensions manifesting um, in the refusal to worship God in the same sanctuary, right? That's what I talked about earlier with um, black and white being um, segregated in different churches, the most segregated hour in the week being Sunday morning. How do we fix that? We fix that through Jesus. That is a corn cheese answer. I get it. Corn cheese, corny and cheesy. I just came up with it right now. Corn cheese. Yeah, I don't like the sound of it either. It's a corny answer. It's a cheesy answer. Corn is good with cheese. Okay. Let me just. Okay. Okay. Let me get to my point. It is a it is a corny answer, but 
the church is us. The, ch- the church is all of us who call the Lord Jesus our Savior, regardless of your color. And to love anything or anyone more than Christ is to put yourself in violation of the first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Zoe, I'm going to go to you after this, but here's what I want to leave you with. You cannot love God and hate your neighbor. You cannot love God and hate your black neighbor. You cannot love God and hate your neighbor who got an abortion. You can't. It's impossible. We are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love others. And until we do that, we will continue to see a race problem. We will continue to see an abortion problem. We will continue to see a socialist problem. We will continue to see all of these things that we've talked about as problems. We will continue to see biblical contradictions. We will continue to see everything wrong in the world until we see Jesus as what is right in the world. Uh, do you have anything to add? Um, not really. I was just going to say that in Genesis 127, it says that um, God created us in his own image. So God didn't make any mistakes when he made us. So whatever your skin color is or whatever, um, however you look or anything like that, God intended it for to be that way because he didn't make any mistakes whenever he made us. Mm. That's so good. It does not get any better.